Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of Hassan Talks Podcast. Uh, this episode comes as the 16th episode of the show. So if you haven't checked the previous episode, please do. Uh, you'll find several topics, uh, different guests from all over the globe. Uh, we're talking here about uh, stuff about uh, Sudan as it's my country, about uh, culture, uh, stuff that uh, uh, I went through during Ramadan uh, a few months ago, and also things that have been going lately as the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, racism, and uh, sexual harassment against women and how to fight all that. So this podcast covers everything that you guys need. So if you're new to the show, welcome to Hassan Talks Podcast. This is Hassan Fadl, a Sudanese based in Madrid. And as the host of the of the show, I just want to say that this episode is very different. It's really, really special. And with the guest that I'm having today, we're going to try to cover a topic that is, as you can see in the title, it's activism. but. We're going to try to go deeper on, into social media and how can social media and activism come together, uh, where are the good points and the, the, the negative sides of, of this whole platform that we are having nowadays. Since we've been like experiencing so much activism lately, so many protests, and uh, we're living in an era where information is available everywhere, yet I don't think all of us are really knowing how to uh, make use of all of that. So for all that and more, I have invited a very special guest of today, his name is, her name is Rawa Ahmed, she's from Sudan, but based in Cyprus, and she's an activist, so today she will be able to help me uh, answer your questions for those who send their questions, and also answer the questions I have about activism and social media. So, hello Rawa. Hello, hello Hassan, hello everyone. Uh, thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to the episode today, because it's, it's a very interesting topic, and I hope that we can be as productive as possible, and and make people kind of like brainstorm their opinions and build new ones as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too, actually, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, if you're listening to this, uh, prepare your notes, your cup of coffee or tea or whatever, and <laughs> enjoy this episode. And let's start, uh, if you, Rawa, if you can, can introduce yourself to the listeners, to those who might not know you. Yes, for sure. So my name is Rawa Ahmed. I'm a Sudanese national. Uh, born and raised in Sudan, a Sudanese female national. Um, and then I moved to Cyprus where I acquired my international relations and political sciences degree. Um, but however, my passion for social work and community development started before then in Sudan. Um, I think it was something I acquired for, from my mom. Um, in, in working with a lot of projects and different kind of civil society bodies and, and organizations of executing different projects that are focused on community development, but with a very strong um, base and concentration on women or children's rights. I think um, my passion for women and children's rights developed uh, before then, a very long time when I was young. And then um, we worked on executing different projects that uh, address a lot of topics that are um, not necessarily openly spoken about in Sudan or stigmatized things like um, domestic violence, harassment against children, child sexual abuse and so on. So we try as much to be able to break the societal stigma and address the social issues that affect us most in order to have the community engagement. So we're able to rise up as communities together. And then after I came to Cyprus, I co-founded uh, my own NGO as well under the name of, of Voice Cyprus, where I became the head of the committee dealing with gender issues. And that's where we basically um, deal with A, issues of gender-based violence, but also issues of sexual harassment. We deal with two aspects. The first one is raising community awareness in different ways, workshops, seminars, videos, education on consent, and so on and so forth. But most importantly, and I think the part that I hold dearly, is dealing and helping survivors of violence and abuse by connecting them to the needed help, whether it's lawyers, psychologists, or just whichever help that they need in the way. We find ourselves working with different government bodies as well to ensure that uh, the survivor's well-being, psychological and physical well-being and her security or his security is always catered for and the right things are being done. 
So um, that's a brief introduction about, about me and hopefully today we'll dive into a lot of work on how uh, social media can assist the work on ground as well in certain ways, but we can also and we will also talk about the negative and positive impacts on, of social media and activism. All right. Okay. If you guys can, uh, if you guys heard already the introduction uh, of, of Rawa, you will know that I made the right choice of choosing the guest of today because mm-hmm. she, know, she knows her work and she knows her uh, activism a lot and she, she started this very early. So since this is our generation, the generation of uh, social media and uh, also like activism being it's been there like since ever, you know, since we, since like the humanity started, there's always problems, there are always people rising up and trying to solve these problems in whatever manner or whatever way possible. But today mm. with social media, the means are, or the ways are very, very different and actually can be done through a touch of a button, you know, it doesn't uh, sometimes like, of course, there are people who are leading organizations and doing uh, huge, huge work on ground, but there are people from their beds, from their homes, who never like been to a protest before, but yet uh, they participate somehow. And here comes my first question. Mm-hmm. Uh, when somebody posts a picture or uploads a story, let's say on Instagram, uh, about, uh, let's say, a sexual violence against women that's been happening somewhere, just uploading this story or sharing it, is that considered as activism? Is that valid? So um, it's a tricky question and also I'm not one to, to like deny or confirm is it because I don't hold the kind of like umbrella of what activism should be. But from my opinion, um, I don't think that it is. I think that as a society, we often engage in a lot of, of dialogue and discourse and people share their opinions and people are in support for what's right. Um, I think now more than ever because of the accessibility of, of, of social media and interviews and before things were so difficult, you know, for someone to like be there or appear on TV and, and so forth. It was such a complicated process, but now it's like we have those smartphones and anything is possible and everyone's voice matter and rightfully so. And so I think there's a difference between us engaging in things that are right and us dedicating our lives to it. For example, um, I view, from my stance, I view, I think people who are activists are, it's labels, sometimes it's unnecessary labels, but there are people who just simply care about others and dedicate their entire lives for it, right? And it takes a certain process. For example, um, someone who is an activist, for me, which I've met a lot of people, Um, You can be a young activist, you can be someone who's literally dedicating their lives to something. And some people can be like people who not just dedicate their lives, but even their studies, right? People say, I mean, it's it's a literal field that you have to study. For example, some people study human rights law and they become activists or human rights lawyers. Some people study um, social work and they're focused on social work and activism as well. People dedicate five, six, ten years of their lives getting PhDs and, and master's degrees to dedicate their lives to the work that they're very passionate about. So sometimes it's tricky when we do the bare minimum and we kind of put a label on it because at the end of the day, it's an actual field of work that requires you to not only just care about people but dedicate your entire life for it. And I'm against... Um, against the label and against like giving it out so easily for 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 certain reasons it's that it becomes lazy work it becomes really lazy work when we think especially that doing most of the work virtually um kind of like um gives us this label that for example for me i don't aspire for a certain label right i don't think that that People have to do something to, to, to be under this certain label. But also when, when it's just kind of like this very lazy work or when we digitalize everything, which is good, rightfully so, for community awareness, for, for pushing for dialogue, for raising more awareness, because everyone has a phone in their hands and everyone can read what everyone has to say, right? So it's like more accessible and it's good. 
However, it becomes lazy work when we center it and we completely forgot, forget the work on ground. Yani, for me as a person, I'm someone... So you're against, you're against the, the, the label itself because it brings the laziness to the surface and then it doesn't get the problem solved that with the whole activism is about, right? Yes, yes. I'm against like doing lazy work and just acquiring the label or doing... Like, not everyone who's just gonna write an, an, an article or a paragraph about this, this, that happened. You're not gonna label yourself an activist if you're... I think it has to be genuine, you know? You have to be someone who really believes in the cause but dedicate your life to the cause. And like I said, it's unfair on the half of... I've seen thousands of people or I've encountered within this uh, field a lot of people who have not just like committed themselves, but like literally they, they, they forget about, for example, their families or they take five, six years doing their PhDs or four years doing their, their PhDs and master's programs. And it's unfair for them because these are the people doing the real work at the end of the day. So when we make it more of like lazy work where we can just like, you know, post something and then have a label on it, I don't think it's fair to the rest of the population. Yeah, I think, I think that your point here is quite clear. But of course, uh, when I had the question in mind, because it's, it's really, really easy just to share a story or a post and then say, well, you know, I've done my part. I'm, I'm an activist, I guess, mm -hmm. now. Because every, every time something happens, I just share somebody else's post or, uh, you know, I just put it out there so I've done my part and then I can cross my legs. Exactly. And, and not do anything and not do further research. And I think that's the thing that kind of, because there's positive things about this recent um, social media movements, I think it, it became very recent, this whole um, activism wave or maybe we're still, sharing we're, information. We're still experiencing the development of social media. I don't think this is the prime of it. Something here exactly. is going to come, so let's see. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's, you know, what, what's, what's more lazy work is because now we see a lot of these squares kind of like summarizing and summing things. For example, if I'll give you a clear example, it was the Yemen crisis, the Yemen crisis and the proxy wars. And then there was, you know, these mini squares where they're explaining the um, informative, the, the informative, yeah. yeah, informative way of saying this is what the Yemen crisis is about. And they turned it into a charity case and Yemen is going extinct in five years or one year and things that are absolutely ridiculous. And rhetorics like this are very dangerous because people aren't able to do more in-depth research. I mean, for example, I've studied this. I've took a course on, on proxy wars in Yemen for an, for an entire year or the entire four year of, of, of my studies. And then people I know have done masters and, and their, their research and their dissertation on the Yemen issue. And they're still not able to compensate the complexity of the problem, right? And the different aspects of the problem and the political and social and cultural aspect and the, and the, the interference of different bodies and, and how the occupation plays. There's so many things, right? So when we summarize this and we turn it into a charity case and have absolutely ridiculous sentiments like a country is going extinct in one, a country can't go extinct in one year, you know? I think the problem about this, the lazy research, leads to lazy work. I mean, when I see these things, the thing that goes into my head, like read a book, you know, if you literally open and do enough research, you're going to understand the complexities of all of these different countries that we have now. And yeah. they are not charity cases. These are political cases. I mean, the people of Yemen are not a charity case. Before, before this whole thing started, they were a very progressive country, rich in resources and similar to the Syria issue, similar to a lot of even Sudan, when we were uprising, a lot of things were popping up from certain media accounts saying that please donate to the children of Sudan, that they are dying of hunger. And it was in the middle of the uprising. I mean, the narrative yeah. is very dangerous because most of these developing countries, and especially African countries, People are so quick to cancel them as charity cases and not resistant cases and not, this is Africa uprising, you know, this is not Africa for charity or this is not your yeah. normal media feed an African child thing. It, it's, yeah. it's a very dangerous rhetoric and I think sometimes uh, social media downplays the seriousness 
of a lot of situation and it leads us to be very lazy. We think that we can open a phone and read the square and an informal text and we understand the complexity of all the conflicts in the world, which is false. Because well, we can never we can never incompensate and unless we really do very intensive in-depth research, you know, about what's going on and, and listen to the people on ground. I think yeah. that's the most important part. Yeah, well, the thing is like, uh, as, as I said again, it's, it's really, really easy to, to, to read this kind of slides and it's even easier to share them. Uh, I believe that's not a problem. The problem is basically nobody really want to do the hard work of even just like not reading a book let's say googling a, a little bit of articles here and there seeing more videos exactly to, so uh, people try to avoid that and they go the easy way the problem is like they keep falling into the false information and not and they say okay this gets many shares or gets so many likes or exactly it gets, it gets shared by this celebrity or there's somebody that mm -hmm. I, I admire then it's trustable no actually you should you should you should do your part at the end of the day like me myself that's what i think about whatever information you should give to me i will never mm -hmm. take it as you know like the absolute truth nothing yes. is absolute here yes. some things can be manipulative there are so many factors and so many things happening around us so do okay. your work guys and uh, with that i, I want to move to the next question since you touch a little bit about you know social media and the, the new generation and also how the old media is a little bit different so uh, I, I want to I want to see some sort of a timeline or, or or progress how things changed from the classical media, which is TV, radio, newspapers, and magazines, mm. to to where we are now with uh, uh, social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, or or even magazines moving to to websites in terms yeah. of activism. How do you see the full picture of the whole development? I think I think um, media reflects the culture and the opinions of the general public at all times. And before, because the narrative was so controlled by the um, foreman media or like the certified media, be it TV or radio, it was, opinions were molded the way we want them to be molded, right? And even now, it, when it's more progressive and there's more channels and we see like different sides with their different biases, for example, I can open CNN and I can open Jazeera and I can open Fox News and it's just the, the same exact um, incident. But then the way it would be portrayed or the narrative that it would be said in would be completely different. And I think that plays a huge role in, in, in shaping the way people think. But now with having those social media uh, platforms, being it Twitter, most importantly, then now we're having Instagram is kind of evolving and Facebook and so on. It gives people and it gives the general public this space to literally express themselves and their opinions and rebel against all what is that in the media. For example, now I can, I, I can see that an incident happened in, in Yemen, let's say, or in, in Saudi where the narrative is very much controlled. And then I can go on the social media platforms and I can see the actual things that happen on ground. Or I can be in touch with someone on the ground who has the actual narrative, the actual reality. And I mean, even when we're talking about uprisings, I mean, the Arab uprising, Facebook had a huge part to do with the Arab uprising and with organizing a lot of the protests in Egypt and so on and so forth. The whole narrative of social media, I think it's very positive when it comes to activism. And I think governments and, and certain um, dictatorship regimes do experience and acknowledge the, the density and how dangerous it is and, and how powerful it is. And, and a great example would be Saudi and how Saudi and even in Sudan, we have people who are literally put there from the government to control or to like survey and observe what is being said in the media in order to control it. And, for example, in Saudi, if you were to write something against the government or even in Egypt, you would ultimately get arrested. We've seen the case of, of the journalist um, Jamal Khashoggi, who literally dedicated his, his, his life and his journalism, especially through Twitter and criticizing the faults and the defaults of the Saudi government. And we've seen where that led to, right? So I think yeah. the rhetoric of social media is so important because it really gives every single person a voice. 
And from that, I think most importantly, it gives people who are oppressed a platform in order to express themselves. We're no longer waiting to be heard or represented, even though it's important, but we're no longer waiting for us to see our cause on, on BBC or Al Jazeera or the Sudan National TV. Even though it's important, but then we're seeing a generation of people, especially young people, who really generally go to social media, who then push this national media and the certified media to really voice what's happening on ground. So now the rhetoric became the opposite. Instead of something kind of happening or like being aired on TV, let's say on, on the radio, and then we speak about it. Now it's different. That a hashtag would go viral and then the TV would kind of like take in their information from, from the media. And we've even seen segments within TV, TV, um, sessions where it's completely dedicated to social media and what's going on with social media and what's most like let's say i hate using the term but what's most trending here and there you know so in terms yeah. of activism i think it's the positive part of it is as opposed to the to the to the formal media it really gives a voice and a platform to to different people and it pushes for um acquiring these voices on the national media because again i can't help but think of people in, in marginalized communities who have mostly access to national tv and radio who don't really understand or different sectors of society or let's say older generation and more elderly people who don't have access as much to social media platforms and so i think it's very important to then use social media as a tool to push for it and then to change the dialogue on these formal uh, platforms like the radio and the TV and etc. for all the sectors of society to be represented and given the information accurately, you know, we're very yeah. sick of, of biases at this point. Yeah, I think, I think of course social media has been playing an important role lately and of course it's all up to the, to the people on the streets to to become the media, not wait for, for, for certified channels to, to make the things go viral. And mm -hmm. that, of course, a very easy, simple example that we all can take. The woman who took the video of George Floyd losing his life uh, mm -hmm. under the knee, under the knee of, of the officer. She took the video, she posted it or sent it around. She didn't have to go to knock on the door of uh, uh, mm -hmm. CNN, for example, or please share this video. Exactly. To, so to start a movement. So I think, I think that tells, sums up the whole thing and uh, that tells the importance of social media. Now, I want to move to the next question, and I'm going to use the term that you hate, which is trend, <laughs> and I, I will build the question around it. So, uh, again, social media is all about things going viral, about hashtags, about uh, shares and likes and stuff like that. That's all summed in trend. Trend is something that goes super viral, globally or maybe even locally in the specific community that it, everybody can see it, you cannot really avoid it. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing for activists who actually perform in social media or let's say they, they, they dedicate their, their work on social media to, to expose their ideas and, and, and try to make the real change happen. So these trends happen, it takes place, mm. it goes viral, it reaches everybody, but then it dies, you know, like it, it, the, the, the lifetime of a trend is quite short. Another trend will come out, you know, a very mm. important trend like Black, Black Lives Matter could be out there, number one. And suddenly two weeks later, a TikTok, a TikTok video mm. could take over that. So for, for an activist, for an activist, mm. what's the next phase after a trend? I think that's very true. When, when it comes to all the work or all the justice work that people generally push for, I think a huge thing that, that, that um, people suffer from is how do we keep this momentum going? Especially now, and it is also linked to social media. I think the time spam of people and their focus spam on a certain topic is so short, right? And I don't think people kind of adopt adopt a topic without really understanding the depth and the complexity of it but it's very important like protesting in the streets right some things have to happen simultaneously so people protest in the street um, there's um, social media accounts but also i think in order for change to really happen we have to be able to simultaneously do things at the same time for example holding a banner and shouting is perfect i love it 
and also starting a campaign is very important to create momentum but also finding the loopholes, the legislative loopholes in the system and the judicial loopholes and building on that is very important. When I see things after the, or still with the Black Lives Matter movement, like a, a law has been changed or a law has been amended or this no longer happens. This is um, change that is sustainable, right? Because essentially you're saying, I'm seeing that there's loopholes in the system that these people are exploiting and killing other people with. And as a result of that, I'm going to do this. And this is going to be sustainable change that won't die. So then you create the momentum, but at the same time, you really have to be working on, for example, we've seen a lot of people are issuing bills against um, cops not showing their license and so on and so forth. There's different things that are happening and different laws that are being amended that I think are people who know the work, being it like lawyers or politicians, are, are using this opportunity. And especially I think now because we are at the, 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 like we're still in a pandemic or we are at the bark of a pandemic. So people are very focused, right? A lot of things are coming to the surface and everything we've suffered from, the daily distractions of, of like survival or people going gone with their jobs and, and, and operating normally is no longer there. So moments like this are the moments of crises that we need to make use of. So you create the momentum, but you have to follow it up by actual work on ground. And I really emphasize on finding loopholes in the system, being it legislative loopholes or judicial loopholes, because most of the time things happen and we're just complacent, you know? For example, there's laws that exist that are absolutely useless or that do contribute to a lot of violence and killings or there's laws that don't even exist in the first place. So pushing for that, pushing for sustainable change simultaneously as generating anger with the general public because they have to be rightfully angered is important because essentially you're telling people what, hey, this exists and as a result this, this happens. And now we need people to rage and share their voices and be in solidarity with this. And that's how change is generated. You know, I mean, the greatest of uprising is you kind of, because the, the struggle never no, ends, no, right? No, it, it will go it, down a bit and it will arise again. And then it will definitely. Yeah. Because I, it, again. so these, yeah, moments, sorry for interrupting you, but like, yeah, mm -hmm. if, if, if uh, anybody's listening to us, it's like a graph, you know, it, it has like peaks. And it has a very low curves as well, so it goes exactly. up and down. And th these peaks is usually the attention that it gets, but that doesn't mean the work uh, has ended. It's sometimes sometimes it even exactly. says that the work has not even started. It just got attention, but there's so much to exactly. be done. There's so much to be done. Exactly, there is so much to be done, and I think it's important to mobilize on these moments of tension, to mobilize on the work and say, hey, these laws exist and we need to change and we need to put pressure in order to change it. And then when it dies out, you simultaneously, I mean, a lot of, for example, I know folks and people who dedicate their entire lives for, this, for, for the movement, right? And then when Black Lives Matter happens and then they just, they continue with their work, other people, it dies out, people continue living their work normally or not being angered by it. But these people still continue, you know, in, in these things. So in those moments of, of heightened tension, it's important to acknowledge um, that you actually do engulf more people in, right? You have more people and you have the whole world focused on one thing, similar to when, for example, the Sudan uprising and when we had the protests, there was a point in time where the media rhetoric was very strong and it was needed. And then when it satisfied its purpose and it's left, people still kept doing the work on ground, you know? So it's a constant process of having to keep the momentum. And as long as these systems of oppression exist, I think the anger does exist because it doesn't go away. Um, in Sudan, people are still getting killed. In, in the US, black people are still being threatened and killed and discriminated against. Uh, violence against women still exists. As we speak, there are girls who are getting married. FGM is still a thing. So these things exist. And as long as they keep existing, it's like a lifetime struggle, you know? 
it's not something that just automatically disappears and i think when we adopt these problems it's important to understand for example for me i know that i, I would dedicate my entire life until like the last moment to these issues because they're ongoing issues they're, they're, they're don't, they don't operate in a vacuum you know they're systemic they're supported by people they they work in favor yeah, of a lot yeah. of things so when we're fighting an entire system we have to really be able because it's a, it's a lifetime battle it's not something that will just disappear so we have to be able to to kind of like expect and have patience for it uh, yeah, to keep patience going. is very very important uh, uh, let's say like patience is the fuel of, uh, of, of, of an activist or anybody dedicating their life for for a, a good cause and hopefully to make change happen definitely uh, as, as the system sometimes or a lot of times uh, not on the side of the people and not really listening to the people so people have to push very far till, till their voice get heard and also the change has to go deeper into the society the culture itself of allowing this kind of stuff to happen so people you have to you have to speak your mind out when you see something wrong happening say no well, the, the system is bad it's not nothing on my mind nothing on my hand I can do or you know like okay I'm just gonna share a picture later about it if you see something on the street happening you can help help in the moment don't wait until you get you pick up your phone and tweet about it or take a picture you can you can help in the moment and the same exactly. time in the same time if somebody shares a picture you cannot just tell him he's an activist you have no idea what's happening uh, uh, behind that screen if he's actually helping in the street or not so let's all just like try to unite here and try to to I mean at the end we are yeah. just hoping for a better life for all of us you know exactly and I mean it's a very basic thing I think when it comes to justice and, and morality it's a very basic thing it's like a good and bad thing it's something that we are like born with you know we have an understanding of what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's not and when we should speak up and I think as time goes back we become apathetic, we become silent, and we just tend to not care. But this morality, it's not like you're doing something extraordinary. You're doing your most basic duties as a human being. And for that to happen, you need to, it's not, when we're talking about justice work, it's just like righteous morality or like very strong morality because everyone has a moral system. Everyone knows what's wrong and what's right when they see it. And then the fact that as a society, we've become so apathetic to just sit in the, at the sidelines and watch and not speak and not move. This is the thing that is wrong, right? This is the thing that has become normalized and it shouldn't have become normalized, but unfortunately it did. And the thing that should be normal, which is standing up and speaking up, have become less normalized or have uh, we, it, it's so far that we have yeah, to put yeah, the label yeah, yeah. on it, you know? So I think this is how much the, the, the tables have turned, but then it's ultimately literally just caring about other human beings and having this sense of, of righteousness in you that you were born with, but you've become so apathetic to stand by the sidelines and just using that and mobilizing on this already existing compass, moral compass that you have to always do the right thing. I mean, if, if we really dedicate our entire lives to do the right thing, whether it's in our everyday lives when we're bystanders of, of injustice or whether it's in our workforce when we speak up for something that happened in front of us or whether it's in our families where we speak up against all these, these oppressive ideas that really discriminate a lot of marginalized groups then this is we wouldn't be here you know if if we really did the work and and had like had the sense of not being able to be apathetic and silent and and having amnesia, I really think it's amnesia, you know, we forget so much. For example, things can happen and things can pop up. And you have, sometimes you have, even like, let's say in the case of Sudan, we really forget, we discriminate against other people and marginalized groups. And, and we have so much colorism and even racism within our communities. And we have absolute amnesia to the things yeah. that have been done to us. Or like, let's say the occupation and, and the colonialism. You even have, for example, in the case of Cyprus here, people who find themselves as refugees, but discriminate against other refugees. And to me, it's just, it shocks me because it's just like, is this yeah. amnesia? Do you not forget 
where we came from and a lot of people who find themselves uh, who were marginalized and then find themselves no longer marginalized and then they start also discriminating against people who held the same positions as them it's just tragic and i think if the world really kind of dug deep into its history and where we came from and all those different countries and really put context to the things that we are doing to other people that have been committed against us if we kind of remove this amnesia factor and the apathy i really do believe that the world will be a better place you know because it's it's ultimately the most basic things that we're doing it's not extraordinary you're literally speaking up to how you feel from the yeah, inside that's the thing it's super basic stuff that should be uh, given or should be like natural but at the end of the day again like we just like shouting and screaming to just uh, say that black people's life just it matters it's not like say it's superior or it's better it just matters and yet yet you feel, you, you mm-hmm. feel there are people against you against that statement as simple as that statement is say people no i don't agree i don't agree with you exactly. i don't think it matters uh, it doesn't even matter to me so <laughs> that tells exactly. that there's so much work to be done uh I mean, every individual, we have so much, so much to do. And uh, I know it might be overwhelming and it might be a lot, but it starts again. I've been saying this in a few episodes before and I'll keep repeating this. It starts with mm-hmm. you, myself, and uh, the one I'm talking now uh, with Rawa, with anybody else who's listening to this episode. The small changes start with it you. Does. The way you treat yourself, the way you treat the people around you, the way you treat anybody else. Notice the small things. Don't take anything for granted. Don't uh, be blind to whatever happens around you. The, the language you use, is it hurtful? Is it abusive? Uh, the, the jokes you make with your friends. I'm not telling you to, like, to, 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 to get a sign and move in the streets and protest and sleep there. Maybe you don't have the ability to do that. But if you mm-hmm. cannot really, uh, like I, I will give this example again that I've given before. If, if like, let's say a girl pa- passes by and your guy friend uh, made a, a sexual comment on her, even if she doesn't hear the comment and you just laughed and you didn't correct him, then this, this is where the mm-hmm. problem exactly starts. Then you are part of the problem. If this guy exactly. at some point had the power to make any uh, uh, sexual harassment, like approach a, 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 a girl or something, you're part of the problem because you didn't stop him because you're his mm-hmm. friend. If, if he doesn't listen, doesn't hear it from you, then he won't hear it from anybody else. Exactly. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of work, but here we are, we're tired. That's very true. That's very true. And we have to be able to perpetuate accountability, like you said, in cases, for example, of domestic violence and, and harassment and gender-based violence. The problem and the core of the problem is the lack of accountability that we do contribute to. So I, I think that the, the phrase, people tend to take it like it became more of a cliche, like it starts with you, but it's true. Because essentially each person makes up a larger part of the society, makes up a larger part of their neighborhoods and their communities. And really like the rhetoric of laziness and bad things spread so much more faster yeah. than any good thing. For someone to do a bad thing, it's so much more easier, you know, than, than to do yeah. a good thing. And so when it, say, it starts with you, it starts with a huge force of a human being of you being an individual that actively, and even if you have to be the annoying one, if you don't, if you want to be the, the person who says at, at every gathering, no, this is wrong, or your friend cat calls and no, this is wrong, then be that person because it takes yeah. that type of work. I mean, how can we reach this point whereby if I correct you for, let's say, harassing a girl verbally, and then I am the, the boring one or I am the serious one, then there's something obviously wrong with the society and you have to be actively that person. You have, to, if you want to see change and if you want to see the world changing the way you want it to, then you have to be that person constantly, time and time again, regardless of whatever other people might think you're serious or this or boring or whatever it is. You have to be able to correct everything that is wrong that yeah, you see so in front you have of to, you. You have to start with that, of course. It might be a cliche, but uh, it's true, and at the end, uh, you know, these changes or like these these actions, you, you do it on the street, you do it in your home, and also you take it to social media. It's it's just a different tool of people expressing their opinions. It's no different. So if you see something mm-hmm. that annoys you there, if you want to reply in private, do it. If you want to uh, reply publicly, do it. Just be part of the change. Don't don't be silent and scroll down and completely avoid 
or ignore what you see. All right. Okay. Now, now exactly. I want to move to the last question that I have. And, you know, I'm looking at the questions that I prepared for you. And I'm also looking at the questions that uh, some people sent to me. And they're like, they're very similar. So I will consider these questions as a summary of the episode when we, when we uh, present them. All right. So I will present now my, my last question for you. Okay. Which is, uh, it could be a little bit personal, but you being a, an, act, an active uh, member in society, always being a strong voice for women, for uh, African communities, for, for your own community in Cyprus, in the university or like outside the university in, in your work as well. What kind of problems do you face? Or people like uh, these kind of problems that people don't know about day to day? Like um, problems with the work? or On, on a personal level, level, but related to activism. I think the, the main problem that I face, again, in alliance to what we said before, is the apathy. People want things given to them in a plate, right? For example, in a lot of the work that we do with, with kind of like raising awareness or helping with the rights of foreigners here, most of the time people just want things done for them. Like, hey, I have this problem, solve it, and that's it. But you don't want to be a part of systematic change that will result in a collective benefit, you know? For example, if someone has a problem and I tell them, okay, you have to be able to gather people who have faced this problem before and will have a petition and then will file for an amendment or a change of a policy or whatever, People aren't willing to do things for the collective, and that's what it might be la- la- laziness as well, as you said in the beginning. It, yeah, it, it's laziness, but it's also selfishness. And I think this idea of, of like individualism and collectivism, each one has its own benefit, but I think we have to be able to take out individually the talents and the things that we have been gifted to help the collective. Because at the end of the day, we don't live in a vacuum. And if something affects you or if some, some, so for example, your freedom is being tamed in a certain way or someone's freedom is being tamed in a certain way, then it affects all of us. And if something is far away from you, it's just going to take enough time for it to harm you because this is how the system works. The system does oppress a, a large majority of people or a certain group of people in order to come also and tame a certain part of your freedom. So I don't think people really, th- this idea of, And it's th- I think it was really highlighted at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, the moment when we saw a lot of people like barging in stores and taking yeah. all of these things and, and toilet papers, even when masks were very scarce and we were saying on- only essential workers need masks and so on. The level of survival mode that people are willing to go in, sometimes it's rightfully so, but the inconsideration that we have to the collective is very like yeah. sickening i think sometimes we really need to sit back and look at ourselves and the opinions and the things we hold dear to our hearts and how it does affect other people and i think in our personal lives as well a lot of people really don't care about how they behave and how it affects other people and that kind of if you kind of take a zoom out it shows you how the world works i think in a capitalistic society a lot of the time Everything is treated as a commodity and including the individual, including you just thinking as an individual and not caring for other people because it's so tough, right? It's like everyone is just on survival mode all the time. And it's one of the things that capitalism is mobilizing about in order to kind of like separate people and deal with them as certain commodities. Everyone is in it for themselves and you have... I mean, we have, we're living in a world where people own islands while people live on boats and in, on camps. You know, it's ridiculous. So this level of really mobilizing our mindsets to really cater for ourselves, right? It's important to cater for yourself and nurture this individual instinct that you have because this is how, how you help the collective. But, and I read something very important. It, it was the, the, the difference between, uh, it's kind of related to this, but the difference between your passion and your purpose. So your passion is something you have for yourself and you enjoy for yourself. But when you put it of use to others, then it becomes your purpose. I think living a life of purpose is very important and of service is very important because you do not live alone. If we have, if you just live a life, you're just gonna die on your. It's pointless, you know. 
every successful person or anything or any movement or any uprising in the world that has happened and that has shifted us in a progressive and more better um, position was one that had the collective at the center, was one of solidarity, like the Black Lives Matter movement, like the Sudanese revolution. So this apathy that we have and this mindset of a lot of selfishness and focusing on ourselves in all its, its, in all its different dynamics is the thing that really kind of pains me a lot for example, a lot of people talk to me about, okay, yeah, you talk about uh, women issues and, and, and harassment. And for example, if a girl would face an, an issue of harassment, I'm not interested in protecting myself. You know, if you tell me, yeah, just don't walk the street at night, it'll be fine. Just forget it. I'm not interested in this, just the self-protection. I'm interested in a, in, in a systemic and a concrete level of protection that protects all women in general. Because if we just pinpoint things and look at things with situation, a case, oh, she comes from this family, she's going to be protected, it's fine. I'm not going to worry about, about my child or about my sister because she's safe and she's this and she's that. That is this very selfish, individualistic mentality that's not going to take us further. I'm not interested in self-security, okay? I'm interested in a system that will not even make me think that the next girl or the next woman or the next person might be subjected to these levels of abuses because that's the most basic thing that we can ask for the right to safety you know so that's the thing i think i face most is really trying to convince people that you have to do things yes for yourself but of service to help the community and to help the people you live in and to help your country because essentially that's how things should be it's not a favor but it's a duty you know it's really a core intensive duty and when we I think some things are beyond good deeds, right? So some people go, uh, some people, for example, talk to me and, oh, and you're doing good or uh, this is, yani, they kind of like compliment me at things that I really feel uncomfortable being complimented as, because to me, we're beyond this narrative of good deeds. Things are, are no longer good deeds. These are duties and, and literal responsibilities that we have as much as you have the responsibility to feed yourself or to drink water in order to stay alive, this is a responsibility you have towards your community and your family and the people around you. Otherwise, we are literally useless human beings who live, we live on this earth as if we're alone, you know? If, if we can be able to live alone, then okay, everyone should isolate themselves and, and just live, you know, in this nutshell, in this bubble of... Yeah. I, I'm trying to imagine that everybody having their own island and not caring about anybody else. But of course, you cannot do that. We are on this. Exactly. You are on this planet together. I mean, at the end of the day, you're always looking for a partner. You're always looking for a friend. Always looking to create a family. And you cannot just care about yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to care about that partner, that friend, that family. Exactly. And it goes bigger. You care about the society, the ones who are not uh, privileged as you, the one who's exactly. not lucky as you, the one who don't have enough money as you. And there's mm -hmm. always somebody who doing worse as you so you have to you have to also keep that in mind so you don't make fun of those people you don't uh, be racist or like uh, target them with your jokes or whatever no you have to help them because if you don't pick them up then the yeah. one above you won't pick you up and might even like you know uh, push you down and that's that's the, how the world works if you don't yeah. see that well sorry my friend you have so much to unlearn and we can't live without each other. I think if something that this pandemic and this COVID lockdown highlighted is that we are not able to live without one another in all its form. The system will come crashing down like it is now and like it will because we can't live in a vacuum. This and it, People have been locked down for one month and literally the amount of things that have arised, you know, them are not just psychologically speaking, but structurally speaking. We cannot live without one another. These things are interconnected. People need one another to live, not just socially, but politically and legally. It's an entire system that's connected, you know? So if something crashes, everything crashes. And this period strongly highlighted that. It really highlighted the fact that we as individuals cannot live in a vacuum. We cannot live without communities and interaction and we can't it live without It did highlight that and it brought so many things that I never thought it existed in our societies to the surface. And with that, I think Rawa has covered all my questions. Now, guys, I will move to your questions. Thank you for everybody who sent their questions. Really sorry in advance if I didn't pick your question, maybe because 
it was answered or maybe not really related to the to this topic so I, w- I will move I will start sorry with with one question that's a little bit related to the last question I asked you so uh, well one listener here asks if being an activist or always being you know being a voice uh, for, for those who are oppressed and always trying to fight for them and ask for their rights and keep this going keep this energy going will that put any risks in your on your personal life or maybe on your career or uh, intervene with like your, your I don't know your visa status somewhere if you want to go back to Sudan yeah for sure so has that happened sure. to you I mean it hasn't happened yet I'm going to Sudan soon but I think because in the context of Sudan now we've toppled the 30-year regime and so speaking generally and publicly about or criticizing the government is 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 becoming normal. I mean, it doesn't have as much physical um, circumstances on ground in terms of, for example, people getting arrested in airports and so on. But it does being like, for being vocal in general and criticizing things and systems of power and structures of power that exist and that don't want to change is very, very, very dangerous. For example, I know a friend of mine who's also very active about criticizing the government, his government, which is Cameroon. And now for three years, he can't go back to his home. Actually, more than three years, he, he can't go back because he's on a list of people who, if they come to the airport, they will be arrested as political prisoners and they would still they would be imprisoned for years, you know. Um, uh, for example, I talk about a lot of marginalized groups' rights, women's rights and, and military regimes and things in Egypt. And now if I talk about it more let's say as a foreigner if i travel to egypt i do keep these things in mind like i know especially with very oppressive regimes like let's say saudi and egypt who do look at social media and do look at people who are vocal there are serious circumstances i mean people can get jail and you have that in your head you have that in your mind as well that things might happen you know if if there was a time or if it was the time during the revolution and after the massacre and I was active on ground like many people were, I know there would be repercussions for my actions, like there was repercussions of a lot of activists. I mean, the first thing in any uprising that, that dictatorships do is they look at the newspapers that are against the government, the people and the lawyers especially who are active against the government and they arrest them. I mean, the greatest of revolutionaries were arrested and were political prisoners for years and decades because they threatened to shake the power structure of a system and they talk with the voice and the rhetoric that is so needed, right? And that shakes the structures of power. When we're talking about Mandela, for example, something that is so basic, but if it was normalized, would shake the structures of power. So when we're talking about the, cult- the culture of uprisings, the moment any country would uprise, you would see how this would escalate so much to different regions and nearby regions. And this is why these dictators fear them, because it becomes like a virus, you know, it becomes a good virus. And once you start questioning systems of power and demanding change, then the whole entire world, I mean, we live, we're living now and even before the virus, it was a time of uprising where people are uprising against neoliberal policies, against dictatorships all around the world, within the African region and even outside. And so it becomes a very, like when, when change happens, it generates so fast and it cultivates so much more resistance and change globally. And it takes one person, the Arab uprising took one person to burn himself down and say, I cannot live like this anymore. I'd rather dedicate my life and my death as a statement of resistance because my basic right of literally feeding my children is not provided and it started a huge it started an entire arab uprising of course it wasn't successful in many ways for many different complex reasons but the idea that one person can stand in front of a place and demand change and it, it goes to entire not just countries but continents is a huge thing and it's why it's why People scared, are scared from it. And it's why dictatorships are scared from it because they're scared that systems of power are being threatened and they might fall if enough people hop onto this movement of resistance. Okay, you know? yeah. So I believe like there, there is a risk, of course, but then it's a risk that 
you are willing to take if you are if you are dedicating your life to be to be active and always being uh, again as i said of to course. be a strong voice and put yourself out there then you you should i mean you should consider the, this risk of sure, for sure and calculate them very well but then that doesn't mean that i'm not gonna go into this field because this might happen that might happen because of course and nothing nothing of can course. happen uh, sadly nothing can happen that easily you don't just click on a button and everything gets solved of course i mean people die and in the, in the context of like the Sudanese uprising around the world but especially for Zidane people have died people have dedicated their entire lives for resistance and for humanity so who are we to not inconvenience yeah. ourselves in the tiniest way you yeah know, even on social something? media the tiniest might be but of course the impact is out there all right so i'm gonna move to to uh let's say okay two questions uh i believe somehow you you answered them through the chat but let's 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 uh, ask them again so this question comes and said um when exactly did you decide to to dedicate your life to becoming very active uh i i know you said it it might something that came from your mom back in suran but of course i believe of course there's some some moment or some incident that happened or a collective of of incidents happened made you made you mm. decide this so can you recall that yeah i think I, i remember growing up a lot of the times because we live a lot of the times you notice yourself in positions of privilege and in, in positions of unfair situations where you have to act for example i remember we would go to places and like i said my mom would work in in, in certain places whereby hospitals and the hospital system was just crashing people are on the ground like no one is catering for them or you go out in the street and you see children literally not being able to get the education they need and they want and people even harassing them for it you go in the street and you see so many things that are wrong with the world and i remember growing up every single situation i would face it would really I don't know but it really affected me so much you know I remember I, I think I was very emotional growing up but until now I take it very personally I don't take it just as a theoretical thing any whenever I used to, to, to see these things I remember being as young as like in in uh, the second grade or the third grade and even throughout my high school years the main thing that a lot of of, of teachers were telling me for example someone would do something and I would just hop on them like why why did why do you say this to them and a lot of the teachers were telling me you know what do we say it in sudanese itti itti mal muhami hakku oh you're not the lawyer of this person so i think i heard that phrase so much growing up and throughout my my childhood and my high school years that it you're not why are you defending someone who is not you who do you think you are stop acting like you're someone's lawyer and i think it has just always been in me you know from my family and even i think every single member of my family is, is like that we're not able to to be silent or stay quiet for things that are happening out there that are necessarily not right and it it because i remember it being so emotional i really remember myself being for example emotional seeing how for example our south sudanese neighbors were treated in systematic discrimination and the systematic and institutional discrimination of people who had endless potential like i remember people having endless potential and being so smart and brilliant and them not being able to progress or get the education they need or just do whatever because of systematic oppression and i remember even as a woman not being able to do a lot of things just because i'm a female so from a very young um, point i think i really contextualize what these things are and it's even why i decided to to study something that shows me how the world works in order to really break down how the system works in order to rebel against it i remember for example my parents wanting me to study something else and i'm like no i'm going to study this because i have a clear vision of what i want to accomplish and it's not it's not i really think that for us to live in this world if you are not able to contribute back in any way you can whether you're an engineer or a doctor or whatever but you have to be able to contribute back systemically and have a long lasting impact that will really help 
children and people who are coming after us to not suffer from the same things that we're suffering from now, then that's the entire point. I mean, if there's something that even makes me be able to like wake up in the morning and and do some something with my life or say, okay, this is for the next years, I'm gonna do this. It's the idea that I'm able to be part of something that would result in, in future generations having at least a more fair or a more just sense of the world. Or even if they didn't, they have enough anger and resistance in them in order to tackle it for even those other generations after them to so tackle it. So the answer to this question, it's a full vision. It's not just like one incident or a small thing, but so many things happened in, in yeah. It's a series I, uh, of incidents. The thing it's is like, I believe of most of us been to similar stuff, it take, but it takes uh, a lot of courage to, to, to see, or not just like courage, it takes a lot of maturity to, to just sit there and try to visualize the whole thing. It's, it's more than just one incident, more just one kid begging in the street for, for basic needs. It's bigger than that, it's a whole system, it's a whole culture. It's, uh, and they, this, of mm -hmm. course, at the end drives somebody to, to think, well, I could be the change. I could actually do something if I dedicate my life to it. And it's a brave decision for sure. And I, I believe this question is answered. So I'm gonna move to the last question of today. And uh, with that, we're gonna sum up the whole episode. Mm -hmm. uh, for everybody who's listening uh, till today, till this minute, um, I'm, thank I'm thanking you again for, for being patient and enjoying this episode and everything. And this is how we're gonna end the episode with this question. This question might be the question that I asked I, I ask in the beginning. So let's sum up the episode with it. And it is, what makes mm -hmm. anyone qualified for being a, an activist on social media? Qualified. Yeah, that's the I word. think, again, 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 like I said, because um, I'm not someone who controls the narrative of who becomes an activist or not. But I think as long as you're someone who passes the right information on and who dedicates their life to different... Yani, you can't, for example, compensate or fight for the right of one person, the right of women, but I'm not, I'm anti-LGBTQI or I'm anti-black people or I'm anti-this. For us to really be able to break free from different shackles of oppression, we have to be able to have this intersectionality approach that encompasses all levels of people and all marginalized groups because it's human lives you can't pick and choose you can't say no i like this group of people so i'm gonna fight for them today and i'm gonna speak for them so i think there's no qualification now it's just like an open thing but as long as you're an honest genuine person who genuinely cares about the cause a and someone who really passes on the right information and you do in-depth research to what you're sharing and you cross-check your facts and you constantly really share the rhetorics of the people on ground. And I think something very important is amplify the people on ground and their voices and not covering it. There are certain topics, for example, I can't talk on. For example, I've been approached by different people saying, okay, talk about the South Sudanese uh, uh, struggle or talk about what's happening in, in Darfur and the experiences. I will refuse time and time again to talk about these things because I am not in place to talk about other people's struggle when I am in this place of privilege, right? So we have to be able to really focus on whose voices we are overshadowing and instead focus on amplifying the voices on ground who need to be amplified and who need to be heard. That's very important and it links to how genuine you are and how much your heart is in the cause and how much right information and in-depth research you're sharing. And also really being able to, like I said, you have to be able to stand up and speak up for all people who are oppressed. You can't pick and choose human beings. You just simply cannot, you know? So there's no specific umbrella, but as long as you are all those and you're someone who, who is genuine enough to care about other people, then I think if you want to label yourself as that, then yeah. As long as you, you, you need, something need to be, for example, certain topics, if we're talking about, about um, gender-based violence and a lot of other sensitive topics, we really have to mind our language and we have to do in-depth research, for example, in a lot of things. Yani, and I, I've been working, let's say, in this field of, of gender-based violence for the past three years, working with women organizations and lawyers and survivors. 
I will never in my life consider myself an expert or someone who knows anything about um, issues of gender because again it takes years and years of study it's sensitive language you the, even the language of talking to survivors is a certain way the language of sur empowering survivors in a certain way so we can't adopt things that we don't fully understand unless you have the actual expertise and the knowledge and most importantly you should just care about people you know you have to be very genuine in your in your approach and you have to really i think for me do things from the heart because when you do things from the heart with a really like caring about people approach then you're in the right direction no matter what absolutely guys you heard Rawa and what she said it's about what you do from your heart it's about what you love and it's also about thinking not just about yourself but you think about the whole society you think about the whole community and everything that you might ignore or avoid in the street somehow it will come knocking to your door so that's i mean activism is not just like for few people and you might you might do something as simple as just uploading a story and you think you've done your job it's not it's much much bigger than that again start with yourself start with the ones around you any topic that's been discussed discuss it read about it uh, start the uncomfortable conversations that could, could actually might make you lose some friends might make your circle of friends uh, smaller but then you're gonna keep you're gonna keep the ones that mm -hmm. actually believe in this kind of stuff and the ones who actually care about the society as well uh you you might lose one mm -hmm. one person here but you you are actually gaining respect you're gaining uh passion for something that we all need and we we should really keep fighting for that um again i'm really really thankful uh, rawa you decide you accepted my invitation to be part of uh, this i know the episode the episode Thank is a little you. bit heavy but it's very 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 important and i believe with the age of social media and activism as as it's like all over the place right now so many countries so many issues so many protests it needs to be covered and i believe maybe we haven't really covered everything but we tried so thank you mm -hmm. for being part of yeah we tried our best thank you so much Hasan. thank you for having me and thank you everyone for listening and for those who are gonna listen after and you're doing an amazing job with the podcast i think it's really nice to be able to to hear other people's conversations because I think there's a lot of growth in that you know when two people are talking and when it's you and the other person talking a lot of the time we're so defensive and we want to like more say things than listen so the importance of listening to other people's conversation I think there's a lot of growth in that because you're just able to sit and observe and listen and absorb the things without really having to say anything back so I hope uh, in all the podcasts, you cover many things that people learn from, um, which you are. And thank you so much. And I wish you the best of luck with this. And you have to keep going. All right, guys. This was Rawa Ahmed from Cyprus. Um, I'm really happy that we were able to, to do this episode. Uh, thank you for everybody who's listening. Thank you for everybody who sent their questions. I'm sorry if I didn't really cover your question again. And this is, this is the uh, 16th episode of Hassan Talks podcast. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, we are coming at the end. Um, I'm saying just like mm. everybody who's listening this during the weekend, have a good weekend. Everybody who's listening during the week, I hope you're getting your work done then listen to this episode. And um, yeah, this is the end of Hassan Talks podcast. Of this episode, the podcast will still keep going. And yeah, stay tuned for the coming episode. This is Hassan Follow Behind the Mic. Peace out. Mm -hmm.